This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R. We work out our bodies. Let's work out our minds. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month. You're like, what is BetterHelp? Why would I go there? Because it's it's online therapy, baby. That's right. You don't have to sit in traffic. Uh, It's cheaper. It's international. So wherever you are in the world, your therapist can go with you. And you don't even have to sit in an office. The best thing is you can do this from your phone. Uh, You can text. You can call. Within 48 hours, they're going to match you up with your own therapist. Some people have their own chef, their own personal trainer. You get your own therapist. How cool is that? And here's the best part. If you don't like the therapist, you can just find yourself another one. You know, They will match you up with another therapist. Because I have friends who are looking for therapists right now, and they're saying how hard it is to find one. Everybody everybody got a therapist now, it seems like, nowadays. So get one. And, and if you're one of those people who are like, well, my life is good, everything's good, I don't need a therapist, that's why now is the time to get one. Because when life hits the fan, and, and inevitably it does, right, uh, that's not the time to look for a therapist. Because it takes time to build rapport, to connect them to know your backstory, for you to feel comfortable. So get a therapist now, somebody that you can talk to, build a relationship with, and then you can take a break. But then you have, you know, you got that therapist in your pocket when things do hit the fan, when life does punch you in the face. And then you got that, now it's not even a therapist you're calling, it's a friend, but it's a friend who's going to, who's going to like make you feel safe and secure and hold all your secrets and, and show you how to grow and get unstuck. It's, it's the best friend in the world, right there in your pocket, on your cell phone. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Kimball's Hume. Hume, right? Hume? Yes, Hume. H-U-M-E? I don't... Yes. <laughs> I have to... I don't know why I don't do this before the episode is make sure I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Uh, Kimball's is a, a pro- profound and extraordinary comedian. I, I just saw her at the Mic Drop Comedy Club. And you are one of those people who I look at and go, she has it all together. She, her <laughs> life has just been handed to her. Uh, she She's absolutely... Her story is perfect. And and why I love to have people like you on is because I'm also aware that I'm wrong all the time when I think that <laughs> about a person, that we all have our challenges, our things that we are uh, getting through. But I love to start this episode out with asking you, and I like to ask this of most of my guests, what got you out of bed this morning? Gosh, um, my kids, 100%. Uh, I'm definitely, I am the person I could sleep all day long. My husband's the first person out of bed very early on in the morning. Um, but for me, I would stay in bed if it were not for my, my kids. Wow, are they jumping in the bed? Are they are they smacking you in the face? Are they making <laughs> noises downstairs? No, my, uh, my, my, my husband is amazing. He literally, he gets up with the kids and he hangs out with them um, for the first hour of the morning. 
Um, and then I kind of, I, I come downstairs in a daze ready to take them to school. Uh, so I'm very, very lucky in that respect. Just another, another way that I get good things handed to me. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it's, 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 he's amazing. Obviously, you know, you know, comedians, we late, we work late. Um, so, uh, so I'm often used to kind of coming home at midnight and he's already been asleep for two hours. So he takes that early morning shift with the kids, which I think is a lovely thing as well. I, I was brought up and I think often you, you, you carry on traditions. My dad always did breakfast with me and my brother, um, and my mom was upstairs getting ready for work. So it's kind of, it's, it's something that we've handed down and my husband does breakfast with the kids. Isn't it remarkable how we repeat the patterns of our childhood? Mm-hmm. We do. We always go back to, to what we know. It's a, it's a strange thing, but beautiful. Is there a pattern from your childhood that you're like, okay, we got to break that. That's not, we're not, I'm not taking that with me into my family, into my household. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's always that. And I, I, I think that's an important part of what I tell people is me being a parent as well. Um, there's certain things that you want to there's certain things you you want to emulate from your parents, but there's always things that you don't want to as well. There's yes, there's cycles you want to you want to break. Um, I've definitely got a temper, um, and I wish I didn't. And I probably got it from my mum, and I'm sure she wished she didn't have that as well. And I I see my kids like when they get mad, they throw something, and it's because they've seen me. Th- like when I get mad, I'll throw my phone, and I've learned to like throw it at the couch so I don't break it. But um, but. I- I see them throw a toy when it's not working. And I know I'm like, oh, I have handed this down and it, it breaks my heart because I see it. So I'm really trying to stop, you know, throwing things when I get bad. Talk to me more about the it breaks your heart to see yourself repeating that pattern. Well, it's definitely um, it's definitely something that it's it's one of my my biggest weaknesses when I do when I feel stress. Um, I. I, I take it out on inanimate objects. Um, and, and it's just, I don't, it's so ridiculous to me that I can't, I, I'm telling my six-year-olds to try and manage their emotions, yet I can't manage mine as a full-grown, a full-grown adult woman uh, that generally does have her life pretty much together. Uh, but in this one, this is this the one kind of beast for me that I just can't manage my emotions. And it's always over the smallest thing. So if you told me something big went wrong, I'm incredibly good at managing big situations or medium-sized situations. But something small like my phone buffering for longer than it should, or um, or I, if I stub my toe, I will scream the house down. If I, I, I just kind of, I can't keep that slight pain inside and I see and that doesn't matter that's fine if my if my kids fall over and scream that's fine but if 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 a toy's not working for them in the same way as something buffering or not like if the tv doesn't work I will throw the remote (laughs) and I I don't know uh, I don't know why and I don't know why I can't control that emotion and I hate that I am you know teaching my kids to there could be worse things I know there could be worse things sometimes you have to own these you know I've learned my husband's learned to to laugh I've learned to throw things at a soft couch which is you know one way of dealing with it but probably not the best way of dealing with it did so your husband knew about just throwing thing before you got married huh (laughs) was it part of the excitement 
maybe. I mean, I think what it comes down to is, you know, I never, I'm never, it's never because I'm mad at a person and I never throw anything at a person. I mean, that's in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it's become one of my little oddities. Um, but um, yes, he knew about it. And for whatever reason, he thought <laughs> he did the, he did the math. He's like, she's 90% okay. I'll learn to deal with this little, uh, I'll learn to deal with this little temper issue. When you're, when you're angry like that, when you feel your temper flare up, where do you feel that in your body? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm looking around the room and thinking, where was the last time I was mad in my office? Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's fully in my, it's in my head or in my heart. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I feel it. But it's just, it surprises me. It comes out of nowhere. And honestly, it's laughable, the ridiculous things that I get upset about. I think it's, it might be a control issue. It might be, I feel like I'm so good at controlling things and getting things done. And it's when something is controlling me, like a TV not working, and I can't get it, fix it right then. That's, I think, the issue. I like it. I like, I like that you encourage us to kind of, think more, think more through it in depth. I think it might be something to do with the fact that it's an issue I cannot control at that very moment that gets me so frustrated. The irony there is, you know, the whole point of the remote control is that you have control. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know. And so what is the progression of emotions after the initial flare up of anger? What do you find your emotion then um well then into what comes after that i move past it very quickly i literally i do it i need the um i need the physical that's the other thing i've learned it's the physicality of the throwing or something whatever it may be and as soon as that's done i'm like okay boys okay babe you know and i'm and i just move on and i'm fine again it's just that it's that i almost need a punching bag it's that one kind of that one physical movement that I need to get out and then I move on and I come back and generally I, you know, I'll unplug the TV or plug it back in or whatever it may be. I'll leave my phone to buffer and I've walked away and come back and it's fixed. Um, and, and then it's fine. And then I move on with my day and I, de- I definitely don't let it get me down. Um, and I just move on. It's, it's such a strange thing. It's just that little physical movement that I needed to get out um, sometimes I feel like I do it. I was talking to my friend about this. Sometimes I feel like I want, I, I, I shower the TV remote or throw it purely because I want my husband who may be in the other room to know that I'm feeling frustration at that moment. And then, and then I, I do something. He kind of, he, his, okay. Something obviously went wrong. TV remote isn't working. He doesn't even need to come in, but then later on in the day, He's just like, did you get the TV working okay? I'm like, yeah. But it's it's a weird thing. It's almost a kind of a way of expressing frustration without asking for help. Does that make sense? Mm. So is there something that you've learned in the past about asking for help that you found doesn't work for you or that you're uncomfortable with? Um. No, I think, well, yeah, I guess it's, I I have no problems asking for help. I think I just, uh, I rely on myself incredibly. 
Um, and uh, and I think I put a lot on myself and I rely on myself to, to do it all and fix it all. Um, and I put the pressure on myself to do that. So that's maybe I'm kind of secretly asking him for help by by throwing something. So he hears that something's going on, but he's learned that I'm not actually asking him for help. And woe betide if he comes in and tries to help. Um, so it's this beautiful dynamic that you get when you, that you learn when you've been in a relationship for a long time. You learn that people are, you know, subconsciously asking or not asking for something. Um, but obviously for someone who didn't know me so well, that would be a shock. But um, but I've begun to kind of learn that with my with my kids as well. Hmm. Learn what part? Well, just just t- too often. Um, when you have kids, it's very easy to come to come to their aid straight away. And sometimes you have to see them sit there and struggle and realize that something, the toy isn't working for them. And, and you have to kind of decide and different and different kids need different help as well. So I've learned that one of my kids is like me and he wants to figure it out for himself. And he used to say, you offer the help. And he's like, nope, nope, I'm going to figure it out. Whereas the other guy, he, he just he was like, yes, just fix my toy for me, please. You know, he'll, he'll want help and he'll graciously accept it. Um, but learning how to kind of, how to different, how to interact differently with, with, with people and their personalities, um, I think is, is kind of a, a beautiful dynamic within a family. Yeah. So I would assume then your husband is more adept at asking for help or does he throw something bigger than the remote control? Um, I feel like no I feel like my husband also is he's very independent um he just had an incredibly different upbringing to me um and uh you know with just such a hard-working um hard-working mum not that mine wasn't but he was brought up in a with a single mum and um so no I think he, he struggles to ask for help as well um, but we've both brought out, um, we've both brought out a kind of softer side in each other, I think. Um, so we both rely on each other so well now and we communicate very well together. But no, I think he's, he struggles to ask for help as well. But one of my sons is definitely a little him. And I'm um, the other son who's very kind of focused and, and proud and is, is definitely my, you know, he's, he's got my personality traits for sure. You know, before we started the podcast, I asked you about a pregnancy loss. And you I know that now you have do you have two kids or three? Two twins. You have twins. Wow. Twin six year olds. Yes. Uh, Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Tell me about the pregnancy loss. If you know whatever you're comfortable with sharing. Yes. No, I, I talk about it a lot in my comedy as well, because I think it's it's such an important thing to talk about. So um, so I had three miscarriages and then we did IVF um, three times and got lucky on the third and last final attempt. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, that was it was a you know, it was a tough time. It was you always you go you go through your life. They always say you go through your life trying not to get pregnant. And then as soon as you try to get pregnant, doesn't necessarily happen as easily as you might have thought. Um, so it was a good five years of, of trying with lots of ups and downs. Um, I don't know. Some, I don't know if it's the the British thing in me, but um, or if it's just a personality thing. But for, sometimes 
people take miscarriages very, very, very differently. And sometimes I worry that I'm missing an emotional, you know, an emotional boat in my body. But the, for me, it was, they were, they were very hard, but manageable and move onable. I think they also happened early on, uh, which is, which is easier to cope with, I think, than if, of course, if you'd, you know, if you'd gone down the line for 20 weeks, I had a friend who lost, lost a baby, two days before it was uh, supposed to be born and that is just you know in, so uh, overwhelming to even think about how you would go on with life but she has and it's it's a, it's she's amazing she's got two beautiful kids now um but uh so miscarriage is there's so many variables um but yeah I mean three is the is, is even tougher because you lose that first one and you go down this kind of road of beginning to once you've you know, one was one we lost about eight weeks, and then the second one, I think we were kind of thirteen weeks along. So at that point, we'd started thinking about names, and you know, we we hadn't got as far as putting the nursery together. But when you start thinking about names, all of a sudden it just becomes a little bit more real. Um, and then I think we'd found out that that was a little girl, for example. Um, and I would have loved, I would have loved to have brought a little girl into the, into the world. My feminist nature wanted to bring up, you know, a badass little girl and persuade her to have kind of confidence to take on life the way I do. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't to be, um, and I wish I hadn't known it was a little girl because I often think about that now um it's, it's all these kind of little extra things but you know we 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 got through it and then eventually we had to doing the IVF it is when you when you go through IVF and then you don't get the result you're looking for the first and second time um that's a that's such a horrific um phone call as well it's almost even harder because you're putting all your kind of your hopes on that. We actually found out Christmas Eve or for the second IVF that it hadn't worked. And that Christmas was just, you know, all of a sudden it, it what could have been the most beautiful Christmas present, um, you know, didn't end up happening. And that's when my brother actually came to me. He's like, you've got to just take some time out. So we actually booked a lovely trip of a lifetime that we've, we've been saving to do more IVF. Um, and instead we spent the money on a fantastic three-week trip down to um, South America, we did Chile and um, and Rio, and spent our money there instead. Had the time of our lives. Um, came back. Turns out we did have three, two more, um, two more embryos. In they went, and here we are today. Wow. So there's so many things I want to unpack with that because, you know, people who struggle with suicidal ideation they often tend to think of their situation as, um, you know, intolerable, unbearable, like there are no solutions. And it sounds like after your first miscarriage, you realized very early on that it wasn't all about you or your fault, that there's just so many factors that go into why somebody might miscarry. Was that something that was explained to you, uh, you know, after, or was that just something that you were inherently aware of? It was explained to me after, but um, I do, I, I tend to have a somewhat scientific approach to, um, to a lot of things anyway. So I'd done the research, I knew what to expect. And it's, it's, 
it is shocking. I mean, it's something like one in four pregnancies um, end in miscarriage. So uh, we went into it um, somewhat knowing. I was also, I was, I was 30, I was 34. um, Oh no, I was 32 for the first miscarriage, then 33 and then 35. And that is, once you get to 35, I think it's considered a geriatric pregnancy. Um, so I'm on the, I'm on the older side when we were, you know, starting to get, trying to get pregnant anyway. So we, we went into it expecting it. I love that. So, you know, you managed your expectations. I like this scientific approach because I, my brain does not work like that. I have a very (laughs) idealistic, romantic, I, you know, expectation of life and how things work and, you know, eat from relationships to work, to success it's all based off movies and books and songs that i've listened to and you said let's go to the science and see that oh one in four end in a miscarriage okay well okay that so if it happens it's not like there's something wrong with me this is just a statistical um i'm just part of this statistical pattern that we've seen repeated uh, yes. So I love that, that you managed your expectations by having a more under, deeper understanding of what you're about to undergo. Yeah, I think I'm just, I'm very matter of fact. Um, I also do have a beautiful, fantastical view of life. Um, and I do, I believe anything can happen, but I really, I, I'm, I really, I love taking the rough with the smooth. I love the, I actually... I've learned to kind of, I really, I lean into the lows, lean into the lows because that's what makes the highs, the highs. Um, I've learned, you know, over, I haven't had a lot of lows, but the ones that I have had, um, when I was 20, I had a tumor in my spine. Um, and, uh, but I still had the most fun twenties. I had to have some pretty major surgeries. Um, but, but it's those lows that just, make life worth living and that's what make the good things that happen so wonderful so I do have this very matter of fact kind of approach I think to to life and I do I'm able to just move on just like when I throw the remote I have that I get that quick burst of anger out and then move on this is the same with the the miscarriages in a strange way you know I also love that through this that your brother came to you and said take a break step back yeah. for a minute go was that how difficult of a decision was that for you to make and tell me more about um how enjoyable that was and i'm asking because for a lot of us who are in pursuit like, i have students who listen and they're in such a strong pursuit of getting straight a's of getting into a college or someone listening in who's who's working so hard to get the job get the promotion that they forget we forget to zoom out, to step back, mm-hmm. to take a break. Tell yeah. me more about what that did for you and what it did for the family. Oh, it was, I mean, it really was, it was the reset we needed. Um, and I think it was actually, it was perfect time. So I used to live up in LA and I was um, I was head of marketing for Variety Magazine. It was a very, very stressful job. Um, I'd work all hours. I commuted um, an hour each way and I worked all hours of the day. I was there at 730 in the morning, not home till 1030 at night. Um, Entertainment industry, lots of events. 
Um, it sounds glamorous, but it was just intense, incredibly high, um, you know, um, high goals that, that we had to, and I had to meet on a daily basis. So work-wise was incredibly stressful and very ironic that I used to work in the entertainment industry, the side I did. And now I'm, you know, now I'm the lowly, the lowly talent comedian. Um, but um, but it was the stress of, of that. Um, and really that's, it's, that's when um, not only did I take a break in terms of getting this wonderful trip and going away and having some amazing time with my husband, but I took a break I never went back. I never went back to work or that job. I never went back to that job. I got another job that allowed me much more flexibility, um, which is how I ended up getting pregnant. It allowed me to work from home two days of the week. Um, and it was just much lower in terms of, um, in terms of stress. And, and that's when it finally happened. And then, and then I worked at that job um, while I was pregnant. And then after I'd had the kids, I decided I do not want to go back to the rat race. Uh, we moved down to San Diego, which was where we'd met, which was a slower pace of life. Um, and I said, I'll go back to work, but it needs to be something that that fuels me, um, fuels me more. And I'd, I'd done a lot of writing. Um, I'd, I'd always written, um, I, I, I used to write comedic poems, kind of very much in the style of Dr. Seuss, but kind of adult naughty poems. So, and I was kind of going to work towards writing a book of Dr. Seuss adult style poems. Um, and that's where I kind of, in the end, I, I went over to stand up instead. But uh, I've just never felt happier. And it's just ironic that that was that small break um, of that wonderful trip down to South America actually made me realize that I need, a, I need a break from this life that is mine. This is not the life. It's an amazing life, but it wasn't the life I wanted anymore. And I was, and I made a huge change. Well, and, and congratulations for having that awareness. And I'm, I'm also very aware that there's some people listening in who may not have the means to uh, step back from their rat race, yeah. but, but it's about the intentionality and it's about the awareness that yes, work hard, but take a break for yourself. And you may find that the there might be another option for you because sometimes when we're in the grind we're on a hustle it's hard to realize the vastness of possibilities that are available to us mm -hmm. what is something that you you needed and and this will be the last question in regards to this what was something that you needed from your either your husband or from yourself to help you. And I, and I understand there's a small grieving window, but to help you with the grieving of that besides the break, besides the vacation, was there, was there something else that you found that helped you to move on and find it manageable? Um, yeah, I think, It's so funny to look back because it, it seems like it was yesterday, but it's it's just another, you know, now you, I have these two bouncing, beautiful boys running around. It's so hard to remember how just how dark it was. And I think you do kind of you do forget it a little bit, um, which is a good thing. There's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Right. But. Um, but I think for me, it was just it was an acceptance from my husband that I to 
at the time, I I didn't cry. I didn't cry at all. And he didn't make me feel bad for not crying. Um, and and I will I will always I will always just be so appreciative of that because we you do grieve in different ways and there's this traditional kind of you know if you miscarry or if you lose someone the thing that you have to do is cry and hold yourself up and for two weeks and and that's just not how I dealt with it but that doesn't mean that I didn't emotionally have to deal with it the same way anyone else does I just you know I just did it differently and my husband respected my uh, he cried I didn't every time um and that's just how we manage our emotions differently or, or how we are as humans it's it's a human nature thing um but we both respected how each other grieved and got on and now we have these these beautiful boys I love that acceptance and you're absolutely so spot on in terms of we all grieve differently well it took me two years before I, I cried over my dad's passing Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think I just had too much going on that I had to be aware of and present for that I felt like I, I didn't have time to grieve. Yeah. The, you talked think, about oh go ahead. No, no, it's just it's also funny. I think I um I I I count on myself as being the kind of the reliable one as well. My husband's very good at kind of you know, whenever whenever there's a health issue in the family, one of our kids has epilepsy, um, which has you know been a roller coaster of emotions to deal with. Um, he's the one that does need to kind of let that let that emotion out, um, and I kind of, I guess, I guess I I put myself out there as the kind of as the pillar that can be leaned on. Um, although, honestly, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if that's for him or for me. Uh, I think it's probably actually more for me. I I tell myself that I'm the pillar that people can lean on. Um, it's a strange thing. You said strange, as in, tell me more about the strange thing, you, you, being the pillar, and and also, like you know, like dubbing yourself as the pillar. Like I, everybody lean on me. Yes, I just well, I just think it's strange because. I'm not sure everyone everyone needs to lean on me, uh, but for some reason I keep this very stoic. Um, you know, the, 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 there's there's that phrase that for a reason that British stiff upper lip. Um, I that is me. Um, I just it, I just find it strange because the more I think about it, I'm not sure if I I, I feel like I do it for other people, but realize deep, really deep down, I think I do that for me uh, because I know that that's how I like to deal with um, with stress particularly when it's you know health related loved one related um so yeah I put myself out as you know you be emotional I'll keep myself together um lean on me but really I'm that's how I lean on myself I guess I would also imagine growing up in a household where you I think you reported that your mom had a temper that it was your way of maintaining peace in the house, right? Your mom, if you and your mom had a temper, then I couldn't imagine what kind of household that would be. Yes, very true. I never had it as a kid. I've only got it. I, I really only really came only into effect. Yeah. In my adulthood. So yeah, that absolutely. And my, 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 my father is the opposite. He is the most chill dad 
in the world. Never, I've never seen him shout, never seen him get upset, ever, actually. Chill very, very in, chill and relaxed. Chill as in, like, passive or chill as in a present and assertive and calming? The latter. Yeah, he's absolutely present. He's very there. He's a wonderful, you know, I'm very lucky. I've had, you know, wonderful parents growing up. And um, but just, yeah, my mom is kind of reactionary, um, but uh, but just always there. I call her any time of the day and, you know, asking her for help and how do I get the stain out of white linen and all of this, and any question that you need to ask your mom. And my dad is just this, you know, reliably awesome dad he's relaxed definitely definitely got my my sense of humor from him um and uh and yeah he's just worked very hard all his life and it is just it has a very very level emotional output i guess does it affect your sleep at all no i, I sleep like a baby sleep like although a baby. i never get that phrase <laughs> Oh my! Oh, right, right. Because babies are usually fitful. I know sleepers. it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So you, so you lay down and you get your full eight nine hours. Absolutely, not my wow. husband. Husband, my my husband gets very very affected by stress in his sleep. But yeah, for me, I sleep so well. I always do. So it's interesting that your husband is the the chill, relaxed guy, but at the same time struggles with sleep and then you're the person who throws the remote but <laughs> you know maybe yeah. you should be throwing the remote get it more. Out. i get the stress out there and then and then i just and then i then i move on and i'm able to sleep yeah i do thank my lucky stars for that but you're also i you know at least just by looking at you seemingly a very active person is i would imagine that's another way for you to release some of that emotion is that how you see it sometimes Yes, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I'm active, I'm sporty, constantly, uh, constantly on the go. Um, I like that. I can never be busy enough. I feel like, you know, I like keeping myself busy and ditto with the kids. Um, so yes, I think that helps as well. We don't kind of, you know, sit around or always off on the move doing something. So earlier you had mentioned the tumor on the spine. Can you tell yes. me more about that? What what was the cause of that? And um, you know, yeah, it's still a bit, it's still a bit of a medical mystery. Um, but yeah, I was at university. I was, I think, I was a little younger than twenty. I think I was um, eighteen or nineteen when I first realized it. And um, and yeah, it was it was weird. It was it was a tumor on my spine, but it was touching my spinal cord. So what it would do, it would just make my whole body jolt um, every twenty seconds or so. Um, so it was very strange, but I was at university studying, having fun. British university is more about drinking than it is learning, to be honest. And uh, so I was having, you know, having fun doing what 18 year olds do. But uh, but this back was absolute agony. I was on something like, you know, gosh, like 28 painkillers a day um, and no one would take it seriously. Um, and eventually I went into the doctors and I had burn marks all down my back. And that was from me putting a hot water bottle on because that was the one thing that really took the pain away. Um, and they kept saying, well, we don't know what's wrong with you, but the fact that you have burn marks down your back uh, means, you know, clearly something hurts so bad that you need to, you know, you, know, you need to do, be doing this. So um, eventually they did, you know, let me in and do a full, full scan because obviously 
you know, uh, healthcare is a little different over in the UK. Did a full scan. And yeah, I had to have a tumor taken out of my spine. They did it um, one year and it was a big surgery, but they did keyhole surgery to kind of shave it out. Um, but they didn't want to go too close to the spinal cord because it could have, it could have led me to paralysis. Um, but unfortunately, they didn't get enough of it out. So the next year I had to go in and have full, you know, fully sliced open. And they went in and it was a bit more touch and go because they had to go closer to the spinal cord. Um, but they got it out and, you know, lived to tell the tale. Wow. So the pain was so excruciating. You're on 28 painkillers, 28 different. Pa- I don't understand that. 28 yes. painkillers. 28. Pa- I was allowed to. It was something to do with. Um, I don't remember, but you can have a, in a on a if you're really sick, you can have like I don't know something like 15 ibuprofen a day, and then 15 of the the other drugs, not ibuprofen, which is which is the other painkiller. So yeah, I just had to. There was a very kind of specific time measurement that they gave me. Um, but yeah, so I was on a, a lot of painkillers, um, and uh, and yeah, and and burning my back because it made it feel better. Besides the burning your back, how else did you handle that pain? I mean, was there acupuncture? Did you meditate? Was it just the the burning of your back? It was just, yeah. I mean, uh, and hot baths. I was, I was, I lived in the bath when I wasn't at university. But it was to me, it was just heat, heat. Was, and uh, and I've definitely got a mental, um, some mental kind of um, things have stayed with me. So I still every single night, even in the San Diego weather, if I'm home and not out doing comedy, if I'm home watching the TV with my husband. Netflix and chill to me has to have a hot water bottle on my back. It's crazy. It's funny how these things, it's like, it's 85 degrees outside, but I, it's become what was a pain, a method of removing pain when I needed it has now become a kind of a cuddly toy, so to speak. So it's, it's become almost a like a, a, like a PTSD or like, is it like it a is, fear yeah, yeah, exactly. of that pain coming back? Yes. I mean, I travel with this thing. I take this to hotel rooms with me everywhere I go. It's like a plug-in one now because my husband got bored of putting in boiling water into the hot water bottle 10 years ago. So now I have this like plug-in one and it just heats up instantly and I take it everywhere and I put it on my back every, every night that I'm home. (laughs) It is, uh, it's crazy. And then, and then I, at one point, the brain is just, it's it's an amazing thing. I do, you know how people walk up and sometimes it happens less now, but you know, when you walk up and um, squeeze someone around the waist, you know, kind of oh, yeah. the two hands is a nice, like, uh, if it, if people do that to me, I will, I, I will jump out of my skin because my scar was actually um, on my side of my body. So I've got a pretty long, you know, I, I tell people some good stories of getting bit by a shark in Honolulu, you know, it's, it's a nice looking eight inch kind of scar down my side. Um, and I'm just so sensitive um about it it doesn't it doesn't hurt at all but I'm very kind of I have nightmares of of it being opened and like spiders and ants and snakes and eels like crawling in and out of it it's so crazy you know what's so remarkable about that is I remember when we met and I we leaned in leaned in for the hug and you gave me the double pat on the back (laughs) and I don't know why I remember it but I was like huh she gave me the double pat out and I was like, she must be a, a athlete or something, because only <laughs> athletes and dudes with like intimacy issues do the double pack. <laughs> and and now that you've explained the the rib cage, I, I'm like, oh, that explains. Why oh, I got that quick double pack. 
Yes. Yeah. It, it, see, it, it's it's so remarkable the things that stand out to us. Yes. And, and there's a reason. And you know, had I been more curious or just been vulnerable and saying, "Hey, do you double tap," I don't know. I don't know what I could have said to yeah. actually get the real story out of you. But it was just interesting that it stood out. And now I'm, you know, months later <laughs> having yes. an understanding. I love it. Uh, I am also 90% dude, I think. So so uh, I'm, a, I'm definitely a double tap, yeah, <laughs> kind of person. But I do, I like a good hug too. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm a touchy-feely person for sure, um, which is unusual, again, for a British person. A lot of British people are kind of quite standoffish. I'm very touchy-feely person, but just not, not anywhere near that area of my body for sure. That's so funny. Yeah. And- and so you, you've been married. How long have you been married now? Um, I should know the answer to that. Uh, 11 years. I've been married for 11 years. Yeah. Two sons. And so let me ask you this. As a, you're a mom, a wife, are, is there a, a, a challenge with the expectations of being a mother and a wife and you living up to that or had, did you already have your own set of internal parameters for what that looks like? Does that question make sense? Um, no. Yeah. Yeah, it does. There's, there's definitely expectations and I've just learned to not care about them because I am, I'm so different to, I, as I, I it's perfect timing. I, I, I am 90% dude. I'm very much more, I think I have dad energy. I've been working on this, this whole joke about I, I 100% feel like the dad in everything I do for my kids. Um, so I still remember when the kids were first born, um, three weeks old and they had, they were spitting up a lot. Um, and my husband said, I think we need to take them to the hospital. Um, I was like, babe, don't be ridiculous. It's just spit up. The baby's spit up. And he's like, I don't know. This seems like more than spit up to me. And then fast forward to the next day, and all of a sudden it all goes pear-shaped. We do have to go to the hospital. Turns out both of the kids have this rare disease. What was it? Um, can't remember what it's called because that's the type of mom I am. I don't remember what rare disease my kids had, but they were three weeks old. And uh, where literally their um, the tube to their stomach was closing up so they couldn't take any more food on. They both had to be operated on immediately. Um, and that's the difference with... You know, I was just like chill saying, no, it's fine. Nothing, you know, nothing's wrong. And my my husband had the maternal instincts. And every single time that's been the case, we now have to follow my husband's maternal instincts and ignore my paternal instincts. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I've struggled with that a lot because, um, you know, I'm also... My husband's so good with the kids. Every time the every time all my friends take their kids to the to the beach, it's normally six mums and their kids, and then Tony at my husband and the kids because I'm off doing a comedy show somewhere. I'm off traveling, and that's that is a different, you know, it, it's a slightly different dynamic um, compared to you know compared to what you traditionally see. Absolutely, and it's beautiful to hear you know, how you two complement each other and that you're right. finding a way to manage it. You know, there's so much happening in the news and you talk about, we're talking about global warming and, you know, China and Russia and, and all these things. The fact that you had kids that, and the fact that you, 
you know, especially after three miscarriages and then to spend the money and the resources and the time and the energy for the IVF, you must have a strong hope about the future. What gives you hope about the future in general? I don't know if it's hope for the future. I just, I genuinely love life. I really do. I just think, I just think it's fantastic. And I love, I love the ride. I love the roller coaster. I just, that's why I think, that's why I think I'm in the right place where I am doing comedy as well. I think a lot of people in comedy struggle with the the lows and they struggle with a bad performance and they struggle with um, the stress and the drama of it. And, you know, whereas I just float on through it. And I, and I know, I think people must just look and say, how do you float on through it? And it's because with comedy, with life, I've just learned to, know that with good comes bad and and that's fine enjoy the bad laugh about the bad lean into the bad like you know and that's I guess what gives me hope I just love life and I know a hundred other bad things are going to happen to me and my family and I know that we're going to get through them because I know a bunch of good things are going to happen too and I know that the rest of my life can't just be positive 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 things are going to happen and we just we just wait for them and then we deal with them when they come and that's fine. I love that. And are are there any books that you've read that you've reread or that you would want your sons to read? Do you know, I was listening to a couple of, to some of your podcasts. I knew you were going to ask me that question and I wish I had a smart answer. Um, but no, Harry Potter, <laughs> Um, no, there's there's not. I don't read enough. I wish I did. Um, but there's 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 books I've enjoyed, but there's no book that I kind of that I keep going back to as a you know. This is this is one for the ages that I would I would hand down. Just the book of life, I guess. And and you know, so many people are talking about Harry Potter. It makes me feel like I'm missing out here because I know that it, it gets referenced so many times in movies and songs and television and mm-hmm. literature that I'm like, maybe I it? should read it. No, nah, I'm not. I'm not into that fantastical, like Game of Thrones was it. But uh, even Game of Thrones, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm I don't need to see the prequel. Yeah, I don't need to, to carry on with this. Yeah. Yeah. So like Lord of the Rings start like I'm not into the sci fi fantastical yes. Dumbledore. Well, that's what's so interesting about Harry Potter, though. It, it is, there's the, there's the, you know, there's the fantastical side of it, but there's also just, it's ultimately just a story about three best friends. You know, there's this beautiful human nature part of it as well. And it's just a story about three best friends going through life and, and, and going through, you know, going through their teenage years um, and starting off as these cute little 10 year olds and then the ups and downs and the drama and there's relationships. So really it's not as crazy as, as you might think, really. It's just a beautiful story of, of young humans. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's what I think was so special about it. I can't wait to show it to my kids. I'm so excited, but I'm actually holding off. I'm so excited. I'm holding off because I want to make sure they're old enough to, you know, really kind of get it and just be gung ho about it. I'm probably putting too much pressure on it and they're going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my sister loves it. And everybody I know who's, I know people who don't read books and they said that once they started reading Harry Potter, they couldn't put it down. 
Yeah. So I, I think, and now that you sold me on the, it's just about three best friends going on a journey. Well, Leo Flowers is all about a journey with best friends. Yeah, so there you go. When, when you see, it's all about the framing, how we frame life, how we frame things. Mm-hmm. That's that's what uh, gets us out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is there a song that you, because you're very physical, is there a song that you're you're listening to more often now than not, or is it all? Kids oh, songs? I mean, music is my be all and end all. Um, I. Uh, I, I want to start a podcast where I talk to uh, where I talk to comedians and just say what is your what is your walk on song right so as comedians obviously with the, if we get a Netflix special one day it's like what song are you going to walk on to but I also think that's important for life if you're a fireman right like what's your what's your one song that like gets you going and fires you up and um, I just think it's a, it's a, such a cool kind of window into someone's soul um but um yeah I love I absolutely love music I listen to a lot of um <laughs> I listen to a lot of what other people call really cheesy music but I love it I'm big into musical theatre um so uh, I am just obsessed with I will all these other mums have these jokes of dropping their kids off and then um putting on you know like 90s hip-hop that I'm that is not me I will put I will have Phantom of the Opera blaring out of the car I'll have um my my kids favorite at the moment is um Greatest Showman um which is an amazing movie and such an uplifting kind of I love that the my, my son's favorite song is called This Is Me right and it's it's such a I don't know if you know it but it's such a beautiful movie about and the song is about a bunch of misfits um and they're just saying look this is me take me for what I am and I just think that's such a beautiful um story and the fact that my my son loves it like he goes to school he's a he's a boy obviously he goes to school he's obsessed with painting his nails whatever color my nails are so right now I have one hand that's yellow and one hand that's coral pink um so he's gone into school today with yellow and coral pink nails and he loves it um and I encourage it I'm like do do whatever you want to do um and um and yeah that this is me is my uh is is my favorite song right now also just because it's his favorite song right now the other little boy hates music hates music hates dancing not into it at all i don't understand how he's me and my husband's son because we always have music blaring out all over the place oh yeah so you got an introvert over there huh he probably likes more of like the melancholy like some leonard cohen yeah, uh, he just he's sitting in the corner of a room doing Legos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so what was the movie you, did you say Greatest Showman? Greatest Showman, the Greatest uh, Showman. Yeah. Hugh Jackman at his finest. Uh, so is there any part of your story, Kimball's, that we haven't discovered, uh, that we haven't um, unearthed? Unearthed. Wow, I never used that word before. No, well, I think the only, I mean, obviously this, I love, what an amazing podcast you run here um, for, for an important, um, an important cause, I guess. Is that the right, right, wrong terminology? Sure, we, I don't think um, they'll cancel you for that one. Yeah. Um, no, I think the, the only other thing that um, is, is incredibly um, hard is my little boy, um, the one that loves music, has epilepsy. Um, so... I joined a Facebook group. I joined a Facebook support group for parents with kids with epilepsy. And it did the opposite of support me. Um, not, not, not due to, not by its fault. It wasn't their fault. But I realized by being on, it was just constant um, stories that triggered me and upset me because there was, you know, 
we were going through the depths of trying to understand my child's epilepsy. And I joined this group. And every time I would look on my phone, there'd be a new notification of uh, this heartbreaking story of this mum whose child died having a seizure last night. And as a mum who's going through learning their child has epilepsy, you can't read things like that three, four times a day. So obviously, you know, she did this poor lady um and i saw story upon story of this she needed a support group but i was not the right person to give support right then um so it was just it's interesting that sometimes you can be in a support group and realize ah this is actually not a good place for me right now um and so i got off that facebook group which was the best thing i ever did because it, it just sent me spiraling um for you know, fear of, of my son's life. And that's a, that's, a, that's not somewhere where you want to be, you know, it's not somewhere you want to be spiraling. Um, but I, I, I hope that that lady and everyone else got the support they needed because you do see a lot of people with ep- epilepsy or that epilepsy is a bit strong in their family do have suicidal tendencies um, because it's not an easy disease to live with. Wow. And so when you, did you go to therapy? Was there some other type of alternative that you went to outside of that? Uh, nope. Just dealt with it in my own way, which is no therapy, no nothing. I, you know, it's not my strong point. Um, no, my husband and I just got through it. Um, I've friends for me. I mean, I've got, I'm very lucky to have a great friendship group and, and I still remember there was, um, there was one day when we were really worried that we were going to get a um, a terrible diagnosis um, and we didn't know whether it was coming or not, but we were just about, they were like, we need to do some tests. We'll tell you in 24 hours whether this, this is going to happen or not. Um, and I just called up my, my, I sent a text to, you know, we've got a mum text group of my six best friends. And um, I just text saying, guys, I, I need you tonight. Um, and we talked earlier about me not being very good at asking for help. They they know if they get a text from me saying I need you tonight, they know it was something. Every single one of them said, dads, whoever, dads, family members, babysitter, you, I need to get out. And, and we went, we just went around to um went around to one of my friends' houses and just they just all sat there and listened to me just stress and, and cry. That night I did cry for for you know three hours. And to have to have to be lucky enough to have a friend group that will just drop everything and be there in two hours um, is magical. And that got me through that time. In fact, I talked more with them than I did with my husband. Sometimes knowing when not to talk is as important as knowing when to talk. Powerful. That's so beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that. And and that's a, a great place to wrap this up but of course we have one more question yes and i always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them i mean i understand life is worth living i understand there are times when it doesn't seem like it is but anything could be around the corner that's the beautiful thing about to me it's about life to me anything could be around the corner the corner 
if you if you just believe it. I don't know. I'd try. I'd, try, I'd start there. <laughs> I love that. Just peeking around the corner. That's a that's a great start. Yeah. Right. We're not, we're not trying to walk around the whole block. Let's just see what's around the corner. We don't have to do mm-hmm. the whole block right now. That's 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 too many steps. Yeah. Let's just go down to the corner and see what was happening over there. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Kimball's, thank you so much. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, the podcast is not a substitute for going to get help, finding a, a friend support group, or calling a new 988 number or the international numbers. If you're in the UK, if you're in the Ukraine, if you're in China or Beijing, wherever you are in the world, there are international phone numbers for you. Uh, you can always go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Kimball. Thank you, Leo. Thanks, guys.